Welcome, listeners, to Connect the Dots. I'm Allison Rose Levy, and I'm here with you every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network. I'm a longstanding journalist of health, food, the environment, public policy, popular attitudes, and the media, reporting in different outlets as well as on this Connect the Dots podcast for the last 11 years. Each week on the show, uh, we welcome different uh, thought leaders, activists, advocates, policymakers, economists, psychologists, scientists, uh, poets, um, and a whole host of people who address the different facets of our interconnected world um, uh, in reference to both the personal health and well-being of each one of us as an individual, uh, as well as the health of our communities, of our groups, of our society, and our and of our habitat, uh, planet Earth. Um, and of course, there's a lot um, that is quite off, unhealthy, unjust, uh, and problematic in our world. And and more and more, it's coming to the fore. Uh, and that's why on this week's show, I am very grateful to welcome a guest who actually has appeared on the program before, and really can help us. Um, hopefully get a grip uh, on certain aspects of this. Um, you know, there's, there's journalism, and actually our guest today is Fanny LaFleur, uh, who's an MS, a PC, SAC, and EAP, who's been developing Healing from Racism programs since the mid-'90s and has been a social justice activist leader. Um, uh, she's won fellowships, and interestingly, she both has a master's in counseling as well as a, ba- a bachelor's in journalism. Um, so her combined uh, professional experience uh, is rather unique in terms of both communicating about um, the kind of ra- racial injustice that has that is overwhelms our society today, um, as well as treating and supporting, educating, and helping people heal um, from that in groups and trainings through her work in social entrepreneurship um, and, you know, with a deep dish understanding of the levels of trauma, uh, coping, and how to intervene in crisis situations. Um, so our guest again, Fanny LaFleur, she's been on the show before, and we're going to be talking about um, the recent uh, murder uh, by police officers of George Floyd. Um, and, of, of course, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a tragedy, um, and it's really uh, it's having major ramifications and actually giving us an opportunity to reconsider um, who we are, what we accept, what we normalize, um, you know, and what we simply can't accept and must change. So we'll be talking about that with Fanny on today's show. Welcome back to Connect the Dots, Fanny LaFleur. So good to have you here again. Thank you for um, asking me to join you. So, you know, it's one of the things that I'm seeing in my world is that, um, you know, there's this is a a heart-wrenching, terrifying experience, Um, this public bearing of witness to a murder, um, to the 
long-term abuse and perpetration by uh, police and government and public authorities that are supposed to be protecting all of us, but in fact have become perpetrating, abusive, gone on um, the offense to single out and harm uh, people of color, um, as well as indigenous people, um, you know, black people, brown and black people, you know, it's just, it has a long history that has been denied and ignored. And I think and as there's been one after another after another of these uh, murderous incidents, we're at a point where it can't be absorbed and ignored anymore. Um, exactly. So we're kind of at a tipping point. Um, so first of all, I would like to hear your perspective from, you know, as a black woman, as a woman of color, how, um, you know, how this has brought these intersected communities to a real tipping point and a breaking point where enough is enough. Can you orient our readers and our listeners, I'm always saying readers because I also write, but can you, can you orient people to what the experience is of someone who is a person of color, in a family of color, whose children, whose relatives, whose neighbors, whose community, whose loved ones, is in this uh, targeted, vulnerable position that um, has almost become, like, normalized within the greater society up until now. Well, let me just start out by saying I'm based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and so I'm not in Minnesota, and there are activists on the front lines in Minnesota where Mr. Floyd lived and where he was killed, and there are people like Nakima Armstrong and Tamika Mallory and other folks who have really been very articulate in talking about the issues that are relevant across the nation. and all the cities of America where there are large populations of black people have the same issues. And so we all can relate to the the sense of being fed up. And I predicted some years ago that, that there was a, a point at which black America could not tolerate any more trauma. And I think we've arrived at that point. We were there before, but it's definitely much more visible now, and I think because of social media and the fact that there are a lot of people who are reporting on the front lines who would not have had access to mainstream media, I think the awareness has grown and it needs to be that way. And so, uh, as you pointed out, there's definitely a tipping point. Now, the question is, why is white America surprised by this? They should mm -hmm. be, and and so the issue really comes to historical amnesia for white America. Uh, mm -hmm. This oh, this has been going on forever. Um, in 1915, uh, D. W. Griffith uh, put out Birth of the Nation, where white men in black face uh, looked really menacing and as if they were going to ravish white women and. So that was the development of the KKK uh, so that 
the spooky black man could be put in his place and not a threat to white womanhood, despite the fact that white men have been raping everybody since the beginning of this nation. Um, and so the whole issue of racism and white supremacy um, truly is is rooted in this power and control dynamic that I really want people to start looking at it um, as a issue of narcissistic abuse because uh, it's a pattern. There's a um, habitual reaction to blackness that you find among police officers and you ask yourself, are they even conscious when they're interacting or are they operating from stereotypes and not even dealing with the individual who's right in front of them? Like, for example, my son who is a 23-year-old African-American male, my only child, he is um, not a bulky kind of guy, so he wouldn't be viewed as a threat as much as somebody like uh, George Floyd would have probably been. And mm-hmm. so, so, and also my my son tends to be a talker who knows how to communicate in a way that can um, make people feel a little more comfortable with him. And I'm sure, it, from from all accounts, uh, Mr. Floyd was a very uh, uh, friendly person and also uh, worked even with the, at some point with the police officer who ended up killing him, like, as security. Uh, so his personality obviously was fine and and approachable. So one wonders what happens during these interactions where uh, there's total lack of consciousness going on with that police officer to be having his knee on somebody's neck for a long time enough to kill that person, and also at times when black men have been shot from a distance for uh, a minor traffic stop because a black man was trying to get away, when why not issue a ticket to the person and have them show up in court? So what is it about the white male cops who think that they have a right to kill people on the spot? Like, whatever happened to due process, if somebody was engaged in a criminal act, and most times, actually, there's just a suspicion, not even any proven type of activity, why would you end up, why is killing somebody the the outcome that you think is okay? Like, how does a person get to that? So uh, it obviously boils down to there's something within the psyche of white males that need, that America needs to address. Because not, and this is the part that white people seem to overlook. White people get victimized by the same type of white male mentality. If you think of the serial killers across the uh, country uh, throughout history, if you think of the the in in law enforcement, uh, that law enforcement has a higher rate of domestic violence too uh, mm-hmm. uh, than the general. Population. So these men who are out here being aggressive beyond what is reasonable with black people, they are also doing that in white communities. But white people have always been silent and always doing the the you know the perfect facade approach to give the impression that everything's wonderful and innocent and beautiful and you know women are cooking their dinners in high heel shoes like back in the day in the 50s where, 
you know, the the husbands worked outside and the the wives were perfect uh, mothers, and we all know all of that is a myth. And yet this is what white America is trying to hold on to, some innocence that never was true. Because from the beginning, white people have been killing people of color on this land, starting with the Native Americans, the Trail of Tears, and other things, despite the fact that white visitors who came from Europe were welcomed when the, when they first met the Natives. So what what's in the psyche? And, of course, those were different times when the environment was a little more harsh and people were finding their way in. So obviously there were language barriers and nobody knew, uh, you know, who to trust. And so all these factors, but how did – people get to the point to believe that skin color was enough to 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 adequately determine the content of somebody's character because I think that worldwide we have a serious problem with psychopathy, sociopathy, and pathological narcissism. And part mm-hmm. of it has to do with the way we socialize people. It's not all genetic. But I do think that when you look at European history, there's a there's a hidden factor of trauma uh, that has affected the white psyche and that got transported over to America where there's a hostile kind of persona that comes like everybody's a threat and nobody, uh, you know, is up to any good. So how did that happen? That started somewhere. But the other part of it is there's a whole group, like that's a segment of the white population, and they dominate the image of whiteness where it's all about violence and greed and chaos and dysfunction and ego, and, you know, Trump is representative of that type of white male, and I really do not believe that is the majority white male. I think that all white males are affected by this ego factor that has to do with thinking they should be top dog when, in fact, a lot of them are actually kind of adolescent in their their psychosocial development because they haven't been held accountable. That's another story, or I'll get to that point in another, uh, uh, at another time. But my point being is that white America has allowed itself to be misled by uh, image, and until white people decide they want to become authentic and get deep into who they are as individuals and get past the, the public relations piece of whiteness, uh, because mm-hmm. all of it is, uh, um, you know, created. It, you know, the invention of whiteness, uh, Theodore Allen wrote about that, and others have talked about how it involves delusional thinking of superiority and exceptionalism, which means that you have to pretend other people are less than. You have to pretend that other people don't contribute or don't, or do you want to devalue other people? All of those things um, are like sociopathic in the way that they uh, just help. It makes people show up in the world, like. I'm glad to give other people credit for their their good work and their contributions and the beauty that they bring to the world and their gifts and skills and talent. Why is that a threat to white people that black people are also beautiful, brilliant, and have uh, talented people, talented people just as we have uh, the range of of characters like any group of uh, diverse people? 
Yeah, I mean, you're asking, you know, very powerful and real questions. And, you know, the other thing that really uh, strikes me in what you're saying is that, you know, we have like, um, and, you know, this is one of my constant themes, having professionally been in the media, you know, for many decades. Um, You know, we have this media image of who we are and what we are that people or, you know, and who represents us and, you know, and who is acting in a way that, you know, we identify with or, you know, we think we should be identifying with. Uh, So there's this whole kind of um, show going on (laughs) that is, you know, reflecting that, that we're both indoctrinated into and it's also reflecting back to us what we should believe, who we should be, um, what we should seek out, what we should value. Um, you know, this is constant media reference point. And as, I mean, as you point out, it's extremely inauthentic, uh, and yet people become ad- addicted to it and addicted to following and believing that um, in, a, in a way that um, uh, it kind of hollows out the inner self of the person, and also if there's a background of having done harmful things and stolen from, injured, you know, these are things that uh, people, you know, I mean, we're we're taught we shouldn't judge, but really they, they need to be judged, they need to be accounted for these, you know, kind of harmful actions of the present and the past and the distant past, they need to be acknowledged or we're actually lying to ourselves and, you know, and, and, and denying to others what our history is, who we are, what our effect uh, is on the planet, on other people, on, um, you know, and on the, even the people closest to us. So there's just like this kind of huge show that's <laughs> going on, and the reality is something quite different, and I think that um, this brings that to light, you know. Yeah, so who reinforces this show, Allison? Who do you think is responsible? Is it uh, the collective white race, or is there a core group that wants to reinforce it for power and control so that they can uh, keep the division going with, uh, you know, the middle class and poor white and black populations. What are your thoughts? I well, mean, I've heard um, there's an elite what? agenda. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think there is an elite agenda because there there is an elite group in the country that have concentrated the wealth and the power in their own hands, and they are running uh, these various media scripts and they have access to media and they have access to politicians and they have access to influencers and they're putting this out there. So, you know, I see the people who are putting that out there and then I see the other people who are, you know, buying into it for one reason or another. I mean, and it's, it, uh, I mean, for example, in the media, we're taught to, you know, somebody comes up and they're, uh, very attractive in in some traditional way, or they're regarded as charismatic. Um, then we kind of we're taught to invest our authority in, into them and not to look at them cognitively in terms of are they being fair, are they being equitable, are the values that we espouse you know fair, 
Um, are we leaving people out of our frame of what we're visioning? You know, white people are taught to sort of buy into capitalism and um, be successful on certain kinds of economic terms, terms without looking, you know, at who might be left out of that or who might be suffering. And it becomes that even um, we're so infatuated with pursuing success in co- capitalism or as defined by the society that we don't actually notice who's left out of that or who, you know, isn't, is kind of shunted off to the side. So, but also, you know, for example, you, notice, you all don't even notice the price that you all pay uh, as, right. as human beings on a level that is definitely deep because it, if one has to be corrupt in order to get ahead in life, that's a that's being on a hamster wheel that is truly, it, it takes something uh, it, it's like it depletes one's energy over the long term. I mean, white males are the the group with the highest rate of suicide. Although that might be changing, at, you know, over time now that um, other groups have at least experienced some of the the middle class lifestyle and so get to experience those pressures of trying to stay ahead and you know. Uh, not fall behind into poverty. So, um, but why don't people do research on why white males are the highest rate of suicides? Of course, they have more guns, too, and so if, you know, somebody is um, dealing with a problem and they can't find their way out of it psychologically and emotionally, then maybe they'll just take the easy, or not easy way out, because I don't want to condemn people who have taken their lives because of deep pain. I have empathy for those who have suffered at that level. Um, Certainly, I know suffering as a black woman in this country. I'm in my mid-50s, and so, you know, I experienced uh, that period um, right after the civil, uh, civil rights movement where you know, Black is Beautiful was so powerful in shaping myself and others as young people. And so uh, I came of age at a time where I was into Kumbaya, and I really believe that we could um, solve the race problem and that, I mean, I'm, I had teachers, white women teachers who were nurturing toward me, and I loved them, and they were decent enough to me. I didn't understand systemic racism at the time I was operating like every most people that who believe that racism is about individual behaviors and attitudes like mm-hmm. hatred and bigotry. No, mm-hmm. the issue is racism is systemic. And so that means that the problem is inherent in the overall system rather than just due to a specific uh individual or isolated factor. And therefore, that means that a change to the structure and organization and policies of that system need to be addressed in order for us to uh, truly solve and get past racism. And it can be done. I know it can be done. And let me tell you, there are some brilliant scholars across diverse populations. Um, I'm grateful that I've, you know, in my journey since high school of being an anti-racism activist, I've learned so much and 
uh, a course in college as an undergrad and as a um, graduate student uh, when I was getting my master's in counseling, I was exposed to some incredible writing and uh, books um, and research that really helped me see that so much, all the solutions are already available. The issue is the political will is absent. And so I think mm -hmm. that what needs to happen is white America needs to recognize that they're being fleeced too. They're just kind of like fleeced at a level that they don't uh, notice it. But, like, for example, white people get uh, mistreated by police and, and victimized by the system in different ways too, but... I don't know that they talk about it or, or the impact of it collectively. I don't know how that operates in the white community because it's like what I see is a level of denial about, like, unpleasant things, yet the more that you deny those things, the more you actually act them out, like trying to pretend you don't have a shadow and that there's not this history of white violence it ends up resulting in people becoming deformed within their own mindsets. Um, Vincent White, a white male who does activism, he talks about how white supremacy ultimately comes down to white people living a lie, and it's true. And here's the part that's fascinating. Black people, definitely, and I'm sure a lot of brown people can see through all of the pretenses of whiteness, and white people think that we're actually all, like, buying into their pretenses, and we're not. We're, like, shaking our heads going, damn, you know, what is wrong that you all don't see how you're being victimized by your own people in power as well? You just don't notice it on the same level that we as people of color because we are we have the generational trauma that we've uh, had to carry, and that's why we're at a turning point that something's got to give because, I mean, I'm and, and I've always been somebody, I love diverse populations, I love learning from different people, I love interacting with different people. But if it, if it comes down to it where, I, first of all, I don't want to be around, like, hardcore races who are unredeemable. I just don't want to even put energy into people like that. So those kind of people right. I would be glad to not even have to interact with at all ever again. But there's a lot of white people who I found very uh, pleasant to be around and, and even where there are some connections that are very empowering and beautiful to experience that. I, I would miss that if we were all segregated. However, I'm at the point now where if white people don't start, like, owning up to stuff as a collective, I don't want to, like, live around white people. And I'm, there's, there's uh, segments of the black population that are saying, like, you know what, <laughs> we might need to just have our own little nation within a nation because we're getting tired of dealing with people who are hostile, competitive, uh, ridiculous in their lack of empathy, uh, who don't even want to face up to their own flaws and, Oh, the biggest thing is how is it that white people still in 2020 are projecting their own uh, dark side onto black people? Like, you know, we had mm -hmm. cases where uh, white people commit crimes and they will say that a black perpetrator did the act and 
you know, these kind of things. You've never heard black people blaming white people for a crime, but this is common with white people. How do people get to the point that they're, they're that, that mentally fucked up that they actually will lie on people? Wait, they committed the crime, and then they will actually take it another level and lie and create a black uh, perpetrator. Why not a white perpetrator? And it's just crazy. Oh, gosh, and then don't get me started on media images and, that, oh, there's so much work to be done, but white people can uh, redeem themselves by simply uh, learning to collaborate with black and brown people, and certainly it has to be with people they're compatible with. Because, for example, I'm an activist who's pretty direct, and I don't do much handholding, even though I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm trained as a psychotherapist. Well, you know, I'm, I'm. I worked 10 years full-time in the field of psychotherapy, and I I uh, dropped out of corporate America for a reason. So now I don't do uh, that work uh, full-time, mm-hmm. but, but I do still work with people using those skills that I learned as a psychotherapist. And so only people that I will take on as clients or to coach are people who come to the table being, like, totally – into responsibility. I don't believe in having power over folks. I want them to share power with me where I want them to own their own power so that I can uh, know that they're, they don't need to have me uh, giving them direction every step of the way. I want to honor what they bring to the table. So this is the kind of uh, white ally we need, people who are past the fragility or willing to work through that and not be ashamed because they get called out and understand that this is part of the process that, you know, we're all going to make mistakes, and, you know, that includes black activists. Believe me, I've had my share of, I had to, you know, do my own personal growth journey, and I'm still learning, and I'm going to continue to learn. So we're all learning. We've all been exposed to these racist premises. Uh, We've been all programmed by it, and so... I take responsibility for my own healing and how I show up in the world, and I think um, I really hold people accountable for them taking responsibility for how they show up in the world, and I don't indulge in the white pretensions of that are rooted in uh, the false ideology of white supremacy because it's so inauthentic. It's like maddening. I love being real. I love just being real about not only my strengths, but also my limitations. And as a result, I'm much more humane and I have, you know, I definitely am not the, the quote, angry black woman I used to be anymore. And the reason is, is because I'm not carrying the burdens that I don't need to carry. I'm giving it back to people who deserve the burden. Like, uh, for example, I always flip the narrative with white people when they talk about, oh, well, isn't it a problem being black in America? And I go, nope, I love being black. The problem is white uh, supremacy. <laughs> I, 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 there's nothing wrong with being black. So I'm not the problem. And we're going to that burden on you know? That is, yeah, really, no, I, I, I totally hear that. I mean, from my perspective, what I see is that, I mean, I just was listening to a radio program about the 
responses to COVID of different nations, right? And, of course, our national response has been really terrible uh, if you compare it to the rest of the world because there's no sense of uh, social solidarity. We don't have good leadership. We're not using science, many, many reasons. But what you come to notice is that many other countries, most other countries, even countries with a lot less economic resource than the United States, are, are animated by social and community concern and a willingness to respect science, where we seem to have, and I think it's related to what we're talking about in terms of white supremacy, this kind of excess of uh, individualistic um, narcissistic self-expression, where instead of doing the kind of regular thing that will benefit most people, we're unwilling to do that, and we have to be outliers as individuals. And I also think that people in our country have learned, and the sort of the, the ethos of being white and successful in America is very much about, um, you know, my individual effort, my belief in, you know, my success, my and, and it's very atomized. So when you have a, you know, down to each individual carrying this tremendous burden, um, you know, and then desperately trying to succeed or survive, and then anyone else is a threat, um, because we don't have a sense of unifying solidarity or social caring and inclusiveness. It's like a, a avoided value, and instead everybody's trying to do it on their own kind of thing. And then to do that, of course, then the flip of that is that white people have to be nice and pleasant and uh, conformist and, and, you know, kind of collaborationist with some of the hideous, you know, larger power forces in the society, and they only will feel that safe in terms of their own survival, and then other people are a threat, you know. So it's, it's, it's really woven into this bigger systemic picture, but part of the myth of being an individual on a mountaintop doing whatever you want, you know, kind of thing, um, really cuts you off from the resource of connection with others and from a sense of um, how we could work together and do something constructive, you know. And so that is it such an hollow way of functioning. Yeah. It cuts people off from reality as well because the, real, yes. the truth is that, you know, when I was self-employed for 10 years from my home-based office full-time, I worked often – uh, 50 to 60 hours a week uh, doing what I loved, a combination of the psychotherapy employee assistance program counseling as well as uh, trainings uh, on mental health and suicide prevention that I uh, did government contracts for and I got to travel to do those kind of things. So the point is, is how is it that white people can feel comfortable in their own narratives when when they say stuff like, well, I work hard and how you don't how if you're working at Howard, how would you know what other people are doing? Like you're not you're not witnessing somebody else's journey, that's your assumption. And for people to be so that tells me actually white people are kind of stunned emotionally. I think white people need to mm-hmm. grow up. I think that white people are not superior as they want to believe. They are they have talents and gifts and individual um skills that are maybe remarkable or training that 
makes them an expert in some area, but you got to be a whole person and you got to be balanced and you got to understand that you're not the center of the universe and you have to know that other people mm-hmm. bring stuff to the table. And if it, and if if other people's giftedness is a threat to you, then that tells you that you're insecure and there's something that you need to work on within yourself. And so there are a lot of factors that come into play and Honestly, I believe, you know, my prescription for white America would be that they need to all take uh, classes in uh, history, something along the lines of uh, studying um, what what they didn't learn in school and they need to learn from people of color who are involved in social justice and anti-racism efforts, and they need to go to therapy. All white people need to get psychotherapy from a person of color to deal specifically with their racism, and they need to be open to learning. Um, And, you know, or if it's not psychotherapy, coaching or counseling, because they really, um, the idea to be stuck in such an echo chamber and and actually, on some level, white people know that they are messed up. They know this. But what happens mm-hmm. is white privilege um, results in white people uh, kind of covering for each other. It's like, uh, oh, I won't hold you accountable, therefore I don't have to hold myself accountable. I can <laughs> live in my <laughs> Yeah, that's really true. I can pretend that I'm wonderful and that my family is perfect. Oh, God, look at Dr. Phil and all the white families that are dysfunctional that come on that show. And look at all the other things that, and I'm saying this not in a way to, like, be shaming, but to just kind of get real and say white people got the same problems that they want to project only onto black people. So stop it. Mm -hmm. Just be real and, and tell the truth. Yes, there's a history that, White people have been spared of uh, uh, being targeted for violence by organized groups and the state, but white people have traumas from their own families, uh, sexual abuse, all kinds of stuff, Uh, you know, health issues, chronic health issues. Oh, gosh. You know, um, I got diagnosed with um, arthritis a few years ago, and it's been a journey of learning because, like, I used to live in my head and my heart. (laughs) So I'm, like, totally into the body these days because my body said, hey, you better pay attention here, and you got some stuff to learn, girl. So I'm doing that, and it's a journey, and, oh, gosh, I'm not in control of it at all. It decides each day what I need to learn and that I better pay attention that's similar how white people need to do with racism. Like, uh, just pay attention and stop objecting to stuff because you don't think you have anything to learn. Just be aware. It's These issues are coming up for a reason. They offer an opportunity for everybody to step up, mm-hmm. learn, and to really uh, help this country be better. And let me just say one other thing. You got to understand, black people are highly conscious of a lot of stuff, and you know nobody's going to walk into being a volunteer for uh, suffering from cradle to grave. So, so if people keep keep getting pushed to the wall, there's going to be some fallout. So, let's say 
the fallout is nonviolent and black people just happen to get their own section of the country or figure out ways to go to other go to african the to to the african continent and and set up shop there you know okay so white people then are going to be missing out on a lot of cultural uh, rootedness that was brought to the table by black people so instead of like constantly cuz whiteness makes it where people live in an, in a echo chamber truly where there's nothing new that is let in because everything's a threat to uh exceptionalism and superiority mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. So white people will just be on an island with themselves and then they'll turn on each other. Like, I really do believe uh, white supremacy is cannibalistic after a while. It's like the blob. You know, you remember that movie, The Blob, um, back in the day? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think I actually saw it, but I was aware of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> really white, pretty. Oh, my God, like yeah. It's like a sociopath, a sociopathic blob. It's going to devour everything in its path because it's empty. It has no substance, and it needs to feed off of other people. So that's the mm-hmm. Wetiko, which uh, there's a guy who writes, uh, a Native American uh, who wrote about Wetiko, W-E-T-I-K-O, where he talks mm-hmm. about how there's a mind virus that came with the uh, Europeans who came and conquered and violent were violent toward the natives on this shore, um, and you know they were operating from a place of unconsciousness. And you know Carl Jung, uh, the um, psychoanalyst, who I truly love his work because he really talks about the importance of consciousness. And there's the the individual consciousness and the collective unconsciousness and all of that good stuff that we all need to really be aware of because it informs the depth of our spirit and our inner self. And because I do inner work, I feel whole and I don't need to condemn anybody in order for me to feel good about myself. I can coexist with people who are open to brotherhood and sisterhood with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's Let's talk about your upcoming group, uh, Fanny, because this is an opportunity for people um, to, you know, have a, a really terrific context of, you know, having a group to look at and become influenced and open their minds and hearts and experience, you know, um, to some of what we're talking about. You're doing an anti-racism monthly group that's just beginning in just a few days. Um, well, with your your facilitating it and what was that? Yeah, uh, the groups got started in February, but uh, the session for June is going to be this Saturday. Yes. Mm-hmm. This the Saturday, six. June sixth, mm-hmm. on Zoom, um, and uh, it's going to be from twelve to three p.m. Central Time, and you'll be facilitating with a presentation by Dr. Cynthia Elise Smith. Um, actually, people just have one more day. You can register. Uh, you have to register by tomorrow, Wednesday, June 3rd, um, and uh, via payment by PayPal to your uh, email, which is admin, A-D-M-I-N, at lafleurcommunications.com. That's L E 
F-L-O-R-E communications.com, and uh, there's a sliding scale payment, and uh, it sounds really terrific. You know, I've... um, I've been in Native American circles and had this kind of uh, learning experience, basically, where your whole outlook gets rearranged. I don't know. <laughs> I really, you know, and you're kind of doing, just by hearing the stories and talking about these things in an uh, honest and authentic way, um, it really, it's, you know, you, you start, you can't help, really, but become more aware of all of this and and have it work on you and your own barriers um, about, you know, who you are and what you think you're up to and, and all the rest of it. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I just think it's this is such a valuable experience for people. And, and people can also find you on Facebook, um, Fanny LaFleur, F-A-N-N-I-E-L-E-F-L-O-R-E, um, to learn more about the group and join. And, uh, you know, I think if I'm, – I'm a great believer that people should be getting out of their silo or echo chamber and not just saying the same thing among a group of people that's identical to me, and then we just keep saying the whole thing. You know, it's good to have people who agree with you, who are allies, who are aligned, not knocking that at all. But um, I think we all need, um, you know – much wider-ranging feedback and experience, you know, uh, really, with different uh, people who've lived through different things and have different perspectives, different histories, um, you know, so we're not just talking in our own bubble all the time. So, you know, that's a great opportunity. I agree. One of the things that has helped me a great deal, too, in understanding the way that that white history evolved was understanding the harsh environmental conditions that people had to survive in and how that created a coldness, a distance from the empathic aspects, and that contributed to some trauma as well that was experienced for white people, and I have empathy for that history. But then you don't turn around and you keep... uh, bringing your pain and suffering and imposing it on others and think that they're going to want to continue to be connected, that just is really not even logical, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the things <clears throat> I was at, uh, I was, you know, I've been reporting on health and psychology for a number of years and worked as a counselor at one time, too, but I was at a, um, a meeting at the Institute of Medicine <clears throat> in the first months, really, of the Obama administration, and uh, people were talking about how to do more forms of natural healing and bring that into the medical system. I've long supported that because I think if it's good, it shouldn't just be for a privileged few. It should be available to everyone, and how can we do that? uh, But one of the things that I learned at that meeting, which really shocked me, was the high prevalence of abuse in American society, Uh, physical abuse, verbal abuse, violence, uh, sexual abuse, etc. It's not, not just one kind of abuse. It's just extremely prevalent. And so if you have people who have <clears throat> punitive attitudes, who've been subject to harshness, who've been maltreated themselves, um, to me this is then uh, an injury to the self, and it's a setup to go and hurt other people because that's what you know, or to take a stand in supporting an authoritarian 
person because you were uh, dominated and suppressed, you know, by such a person um, in your own family or in your own life. And I, I, I feel like, you know, Americans overall, like, that's the root of a lot of this horrible behavior, this cruelty, this harshness, this um, uh, dissociated uh beliefs, the anger that people don't know how to cope with, all the rest of it. So, um, you know, it, we, we, there's a lot under that rock, let's put it that way, in Americans, unfortunately. But, but if people are going to keep avoiding it and they keep hurting other people, there's a pushback yes. that's going to happen. And so uh, we can't force other people to face up to this, but the reality is, is that you know, um, at some point, something has to give. Yep. Yeah, because it's not right, uh, because you haven't dealt with your stuff, to then <clears throat> target other people and impose it on them. That's a very uh, primitive, childlike, uh, unrespons- you know, irresponsible way of functioning. It's, it's like the lowest form of functioning. And so, uh, you know, people can't just keep stepping into that and telling each other it's okay, you know, because it's wrong, actually. It's psychologically exactly. wrong. It's, you know, it's wrong in every level. But also, uh, what do you think will happen when you face up to a person who's relatively mentally healthy who is going to say, I'm not tolerating your abuse, I'm pushing back at you, and you're going to have to face some words from me that may sting in a way that you never had to deal with before, and that's the kind of stuff that happens with white people who are in these public places who are targeting black people as if black people need their permission to exist when, in fact, uh, you know, these people are, black people are going about their daily lives and not bothering these folks. So, um, you know, an encounter with somebody who acts like they are, uh, they get to tell you where you can sit on a uh a bench in the park, and right. just right. the change, that kind of nonsense. And even some foreign uh, white people who come to America adapt these American attitudes. We just saw an example the other day of a woman from uh, Ukraine who was recorded um, being hostile and saying to a black woman, oh, I'm going to call the police, You're using the, and you're using the black card again. And it's like she had just come to America in 2007, and this black woman has lived in America all her life, and her and the black ancestors have paid her their dues for this black woman to co-own this damn land, and this white woman from... Right. Uh, other, uh, from another nation had the gall to think, to, the arrogance to think she could tell this black woman that you make me uncomfortable being on this bench. Well, on the bench in the park. Like, really? You, you, you know, like, oh my, I see, you know, the activist in me has choice words for that. The, the psychotherapist trained person would probably uh, approach it differently, but, um, you know, you just never. Uh, know how people fed up are going to respond. They don't have to be violent, but they can say things that will really, like, like, really, like, knock people's socks off in a way that is like, oh, my, that's a strong uh, arrow that got, that pierced my, you know, uh, bigotry, you know? 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm all for that. You know, I, I, I'll, t- I'll just share one little tiny story. But I was once uh, spending t- some time with some uh, Native American indigenous people, and somehow something was, came on the TV or something that referenced the Woody Guthrie song, This Land is Your Land. And this is something that I, as a, you know, someone of a white liberal background, grew up hearing, and oh, isn't that a lovely folk song, and we love this and everything. And, and you know, a Native American man in the group said, I hate that song. Um, and there was part of me that was like, oh, how could you hate This Land is Your Land? And then I thought about it, you know, for like about two minutes, and I was like, of course he would hate the appropriation of his people's traditional land and then giving right. it to people who are, you know, uncaring and uh, hoard it and uh, try to control it and, and who uh, mistreat the land and the people. Of course he would hate that song, you know, and I totally understood why he hated it. And so if, in that moment, you know, I was like defending my own cultural root that would have had a different take on that song since childhood, you know, and then it changed because he has every right to feel that way, and I was really grateful to to understand why why he did, you know, and that he did, and to question some of the stuff that we just take in and we just think it's all wonderful and actually, you know, it has a very dark side to it that we, you know, need to take a look at. So, you know, again, I think that taking your, you know, belonging to participating in your anti-racism group, Fanny, would be a wonderful opportunity for people. And we're basically coming to the end of our time here. I feel like we, I mean, I would, you know, if at any time that you're available to come back on, I just feel like there's so much to unpack and for people to really start taking a look at and asking Opening themselves up to the questions, the zingers, and all um, is really what we need to do as well as, you know, there are areas of support as well that that we could, uh, you know, really change this whole, uh, uh, you know, pattern that can't go on as it has been. Um, so, you know, I want to thank you so much for being on the program. I want to thank you for the work you're doing and have been doing for so many years. And, you know, I'll tell you, I really... Uh, it's a sad day for our country that people who help build it don't have a, uh, a, a way to be safe here and have to think about self-segregating because of our, you know, the, the white sense of privilege and the intolerant attitudes that have been allowed to uh, continue that, that, are, that are wrong and that really need to change, and, and I hope that, uh, you know, they will change, and we can all begin to change them. Um, so, you yeah. know, thank you so much for joining me today on Connect the Dots, uh, Fanny LaFleur, and for your wonderful work. Thank you for inviting me. Yep, and, and, you know, yeah, take care, everyone. Please tune in to, her, to Fanny's group, Anti-Racism Monthly. Tomorrow is your last day to sign up, share the program uh, with others. Uh, and we'll be, you know, we'll be tracking this whole issue because this is not going away. It's time is come to be dealt with. Um, and thank you, listeners, for joining us today on Connect the Dots. Um, share this show so that others can maybe who might be interested in participating in the workshop and learning more can do that as well. Um, and it's been, you know, 
I mean, this is the path. It's not only the path to justice, it's also the path to healing. And anyone who thinks that they're on a journey of healing that leaves out other people and doesn't take them into consideration uh, is not, you know, it's not really that healing a journey, honestly, in my opinion. So, yeah. Um, so, I mean... It's just you know we 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 we're kidding ourselves if if we if we are if it's not really inclusive, just caring and healing for everybody. Um, so we'll be back next week with another edition of Connect the Dots Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, if people sign up for Fanny Lefour's course, please let me know if you're a Facebook friend of mine. I'd love to hear about. Uh, you know, your experience and that you're doing that. Um, And we'll be back next week. uh, And till then, be well, stay strong, in company with all our relations. I'm Allison Rosie. Oh, well.